Hi, everybody. So we're going to be looking at Vahiro, and there's a lot to discuss in the search of Vahiro. Let's start with its very opening, which appears to be in the middle of a sentence. Both the opening and the closing of Vahiro are question-raising. And anytime we have a question at any of this material, what it means is that we have to go deeper. You know, we're always looking for a cash, always looking for a problem. Why are we looking for a problem? It means our current way of thinking about things is inadequate. We haven't yet seen the whole picture. So let's take a look. How does Vaira open? We're literally in the middle of a sentence, or in the middle of a discussion, I should say. Because the end of Shemois, end of last week is, is um, Hashem, Moshe says Hashem, what have you sent me for? It was been a disaster. The moment you said I should go, the whole thing's fallen apart. The, Pharaoh is now enslaving the people even more. They're all furious and upset. And Hashem says, Atatira, now you will see Asher Esel, Pharaoh, what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. He will send them out with a strong hand. And God speaks to Moshe. He says, by the way, I'm Hashem. <laughs> and then he says, and Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov, I appeared to your ancestors, Avram, to Yitzchak and Yaakov, with a different name, Mikhail Shakai, but I did not let them know the name Hashem. Which, by the way, is strange, because sometimes they use the word Hashem. Okay, so the Rishonim discussed the possible meanings over here, and uh, the full revelation wasn't there. Um, the Ramban says that uh, the name Kehel Shakai means God, when he performs miracles that don't openly disrupt nature, I'm going to now show total supremacy over nature. Okay, so it's not that they never heard of the name, but they had never seen that revelation in full. Fine. But we're still in the middle of a sentence. I mean, this, this could have been concluded before. And then it carries on. Again, the whole speech where Hashem says, gives the four expressions of redemption that I'm going to remember. I think, therefore, tell the Bnei Yisrael, Ani Hashem, let's use a different name to what we used last week. And they'll, we'll take them out under the tolerance, under the, the burdens of Mitzrayim. It's salty, I, you know, I'll, I'll save them from their, their work. Gaalti, I'll redeem them. All these different phrases. And I'm going to take them for me as a people. They'll be for me a people. I'll be for them a God. Etc, etc, etc. And eventually, I'll bring them to the land, etc. And Moshe repeats this speech to the Bnei Yisrael. So we kind of get actually two different speeches of God that flow straight one from the other. One is, this is my name, and, I, and, um, and I've heard all these, all these uh, things. And the next is, uh, sorry, uh, I, I, well, I guess it's sort of, I, so, Hashem said, so again, let's go. We had last week where, where he says, I'm going to redeem them from, from its rhyme. This week he opens, says, I, I'm Hashem. I appeared to the ancestors this various way, and I've heard everything else. And then he says within that speech, therefore tell the Bnei Yisrael, speech number two, within, within the speech, if you like, well, all speech, part two slash three of the speech, all this redemptive stuff. Moshe tells the people, Moshe, they don't hear him. Koitzeruach means from, from uh, kind of limitations of, of, of breath or spirit or whatever. And may I avoid the kosher from the hard work. By the way, there's a, there's a, a beautiful Ra'al Bag who says, means Moshe himself had lost his spirit. Unbelievable. And the people, their hard work. One way or the other, the simple meaning, which most other Rishonim, most other commentators go, the people themselves are just, 
They were just short of breath. They were completely exhausted. The work was too hard. They couldn't think of any more of this freedom stuff. You told it to us last, uh, last week, right? Last week's Torah reading. It was a disaster. We can't hear it. And now, what's this for? What's this meant to achieve? Why did Hashem tell go back to the people? We already tried it last time. It didn't work. Why go back and give them an even longer speech all about redemption? Then, Again, by Daba Shema Moshe Lema, Shem speaks to Moshe. Now, by Daba Al That's what he said at the end of last week. Now I'm going to send you the parrot. He'll send them out. Why didn't we just do that straight away? Why did we go backwards and start trying to inspire the people again on another mission that's clearly not going to succeed? And Moshe responds unbelievably. He says, Hey, B'nai Salai Shomai, the B'nai Salai didn't listen to me. How's Pharaoh going to listen to me? I'm incapable of using my lips. Amazing. He said it last week and Hashem told him not to say that. This week he went to the people and now he's saying, so he could say, well, Hashem, last week you told me it wouldn't matter. This week, this week's Torah reading, I've tried and it's clearly failed. The sun, but so we said they failed because of because they, they were exhausted and they couldn't, nothing to do with Moshe not being able to speak properly. And then Moshe and Aaron, Hashem speaks now to Moshe and Aaron. So he doesn't directly answer Moshe's question about not being able to communicate properly. And he commands them to the B'nai Sol and to Pharaoh to pull them out. So it's like, Moshe, you made this thing about speech. Let's bring Aaron along. He hasn't yet told, told them what, how that's going to answer. And then we get the most incredible, structurally, seemingly out of place piece of all of this. These are the ancestral Head, the heads of the kind of the families of the B'nai Yisrael. You should know, do you remember, the Levi, the tribe that Moshe comes from, is not the eldest tribe, it's Reuven. And Reuven, his children are divided, the Chanach and Palo and Chetzron and Karmi, those are the families within the tribe of Reuven. Shimon, divided Yemuel, Yomin, Oyad, Yochin, Tzricha, Shob, and Akanaris. So you've got as many as, as 10 of these um, ancestral homes in the two tribes that come before them. And now let's go through Levi. You think we're going to go through all Jewish people? No. Ruvain, Shimon, Levi. Now Levi, you're going to go deep dive in, discover who Moshe and Aaron are, where they appear, who Aaron's children are going to be, who even their cousins, the Bnei Kairach, are going to be. Strange stuff. And at the end of this, who Aaron and Moshe, Sha'am Hashem, this is Aaron and Moshe that Hashem spoke to them. As if suddenly, well, sec. Are we introducing them yet? Do we, do we know who they are? And it's strange. You could have told us this last week when we first meet them. We've already met them. They've already been on a roll, been on a mission. Not just by the way, we've got to go back and fill you in and just let you know who they are. Oh, and while we were doing that, we have to let you know who the children of Uvein and Shimon, but not the later ones, Yehuda and Yisach and What's going on? What's the meaning of this? And then, this is the motion Aaron, then Hashem said to them, Yeah, take the Jewish people out. <clears throat> they are the ones speaking to Pharaoh, saying, Who Moshe Aaron? This is Moshe Aaron. Unbelievable. And it was that day that Hashem spoke to Moshe Aaron. And again, Hashem speaks to Moshe again. Saying, I need Hashem, I am Hashem, speak to Paroi and do everything you say. And Moshe and Rashi says, and the Rabban they discuss, is this just a repeat? Rashi says, this is, 
We've kind of had this interruption. Oh, where were we? Let's just recap. Now we go on. And Moshe says, I am unable to speak back to that one again. How Par, listen to me. And on this, Hashem replies and says, Look, I made you like a, <coughs> a power source or a divine against Pharaoh. Aaron, your brother, will be your prophet. Speak and say all these various things. And, so on. and how you put this all together seems, seems very strange. Then we go, uh, this whole next speech, then Hashem says, I'm going to harden the heart of Paro, which raises the, and he actually Paro. Yes, you go, you speak. Aaron will be your prophet. I'll get them out. Uh, um, how does that exactly answer the question, right? You've got a speech impediment. So maybe he'll be the spokesman on your behalf. But then you'll speak to Baruch Shilach, and he'll send out, Vani Akshas Neipara, I will harden his heart. Now this raises the very famous question of how is it fair to punish Paro if you're hardening his heart. And we see in the last five of the plagues, of the 10 plagues, that there is all this issue of hardening the heart. And you have Rashi's opinion with Svarnas. We'll, we'll come back to these, the Rambams. We'll have a look at it. But there's also a deeper philosophical question, which is whatever answer and justification we're going to give. Isn't there a, something strange that in the middle of learning what we will later call Zman Cheresenu, the time of our freedom, and we're going to learn about the free will that we're going to have to choose the Torah in the middle of learning about freedom? From after some slavery, Lecheris, to freedom. In the middle of that, how do we learn about it? By studying an individual who is going to take away that free will. Isn't that the worst example of the power of freedom and free will, even to make the right choices? Okay, let's hold that question. So we've kind of got this opening question of being in the middle of a discussion. We've got the more substantial question of, of structurally what's going on with all this, I can't speak, I can't speak, I can't speak, the seeming repetition. Then the insertion of the genealogy, it doesn't seem to make any sense. And then this, uh, this taking away Pharaoh's free will, and in particular, how, how you manage to learn freedom from that. Then we actually get into the encounter itself. And we have in this sadra the first seven of the makos, seven of the plagues of the ten. Which, and then we finish after the seventh. And that has got to be also raising to us alarm bells going off. Major question, why that? Why do you stop that? After all, the makos, the plagues, naturally divide into threes. Think about it. The very first plague, right? Dolts, Friday, Akin, in the first three, blood, the water turns to blood, the frogs and the uh, ground turning into lice, they're all at the ground level or lower, right? They're, they're underneath the foot of the human being. The next three, Orav, Devashtin, Orav is, is uh, the multitude of animals which involves the wild ones killing the tame ones. That's at least the standard way we learn what Orav means. Devar is the animals dying. And Shkin is the boils and blisters. That's at the level of the human and animal. And the last ones are all coming from above. Borrowed hailstones, Araba, the locusts being blown over by the wind. Choshech, the darkness and the blackening out of the sun. The Makas Bechos finally comes the, the killing the firstborn day. The angel of death that shows presence in Egypt. So we're going from the ground upward, as some of them before I should point out, but into threes, three below, three at the human level, three above, and then the final one. But also, each of these threes becomes a pattern. And again, from a before I point out different things. So the very first plague, Dom, Moshe is told to go to Parai at the Nile. The second plague, Sephardea, the frogs, is to go to him in the palace. 
And the third plague, we don't read about any warning. Then again, fourth, go down to the Nile. Fifth, in the palace. Sixth, we don't read about a warning. Seventh, Nile. Seventh, eighth, palace. Ninth, don't read about a warning. So we see there's this pattern of threes. And even the purpose of the plagues, the first three we're told is that you should know, so you should know, that I am Hashem. The second three is that you should know, but I'm not just Hashem, this divine power, but I'm all the way down, not just in heaven, but on earth, down in the midst of earth, and I'll distinguish, there that makes explicit, I'll distinguish between the land where the B'nai Yisrael are and the rest of Mitzrayim, right? This is this distinction now is to show that I'm Hashem, steep right down here in earth, able to make the distinctions, not just looking from above, you know, sending the, the kind of long strategic bombers or something. And the final three are the Yishinoki, there is nothing like me in all earth, in all the world. So in whichever way you look at it, they segment into the very pattern that we say on Satan, like Rav Yudha, and I say on Simonim, Rav Yudha would say that you could divide the, the Makos, you can remember them by the Tzach, Adash, Bachav, three, 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 and then the last one. And the last plague has a different purpose. It's, this is the one that's going to pull B'nai Yisrael out of Mitzrayim. But, which, pull them out, but whichever way you look at it, you have this problem. So you should stop. You would expect, if you or I were dividing the soldiers of the Torah, we would divide this one either after the sixth plague, or the third, or the sixth, or ninth, or tenth. What, those are the natural fault lines, the natural stopping points. Instead, we stop after the seventh. Why did the Anshikas, and Chazal, and Nathan, you know, the different patterns... There's always two ways to read the Torah. The one that we do, which became dominant in Bavel, and one that was maintained in Eretzisol, where they would break it to even smaller sections, into break the centers into thirds and read over three years. But either way, it seems that capturing natural fault lines, and it's not obvious why the natural fault line is after plague number seven. It should be after plague number six or plague number nine. Or three, if you want to make the center much shorter. So what's happening here? So let's, Work our way backwards. You know, you say that a Chacham answers the first question first, then last question last. We're not going to do that this time. We'll work backwards from the last question, which is why you would stop after Macro number seven. And it turns out that something very important happens after the seventh plague that does not happen in any of the others up till that point. Up till that point, every Macro, every plague, Harry calls motion and he essentially capitulates under pressure. And he says, I give in, I'm going to let them go. Or, or what is it? Breeze, Davinda, Shem, they take it away. And as soon as the pressure's gone, he's back to normal. But on the seventh Makkah, the seventh plague, something happens. By Yoyim Adolf, I hear Potosai. Let me find it. Um, Paris sends, Moshe, calls to Moshe and Aaron and Aaron. says to them, This time, I can see that I have sinned. Hashem hat tzaddik, harashayim. I and my people are wrongdoers. Hashem is the right. Up till now, it's been Hashem is more powerful than me. Now comes a recognition that Hashem is the tzaddik, is the right one, and I'm actually in the wrong. Now we can finish the schedule. What convinced Paro that that's true? 
So there's something else different about Makkas borrowed to all other Makkas. I remember I heard this the first time about 20 years ago. I was in the old city of Yerushalayim and the son of Rabbi Weinberg was giving a shear there. And he made this point. I'd never seen this. It was, it was, now you can look with Mepharshim, Midrashim, pick up that it, it's, it's an unbelievably powerful insight. It was the first Makkah, the first of the plagues where there was no reason for Parai to lose anything. Why? Because it was one where Hashem gave them a get-out clause. Oid Chomistotl Ba'ami, right, in Parikhtes, Pasuk Yud Zayin, Hinani Mamtu Ka'is Machabara Kovid Ma'id, there's going to be tomorrow, Tremendous hailstorm. You've never ever seen in the history books anything like this. For at all now, take all the cattle that's in the field, don't bring into the home, into the air raid shelters. They're going to be bombed into smithereens. All the servants of Paro heard it. The ones who feared God, they did exactly that. And they were saved. The ones who did not place their hearts to the word of God. Fascinating expression. They left everything into the fields. The next day, Paro wakes up and its shrine was devastated. Egypt has been devastated. And he looks in the mirror. And he realizes, all I had to do was issue the order. Everybody tomorrow bring everything into the shelters. I could have been the national hero of Mitzrayim. You saved us all. I knew what was coming. And something stopped me doing that. What was it? So I point out earlier, the question of Paro and his free will. Rashi says the justification of Hashem hardening Paro's heart was the knowledge that had he done to Shuvah, it would be insincere. And the goal of hardening his heart was to show the Bnei Sol the power of Hashem, teach them all the lessons they need to be taught coming out of Egypt. The Sepharna takes a different approach within the medieval commentators in the Rishonim. and there's different approaches. Sepharna says, no, no, no. Pharaoh was always acting with free will. The problem is if you push too much pressure against someone, you beat them up, they give in. Hashem wanted Pharaoh to always have free will. So he was supporting his free will. That's what he means. He's hardening Pharaoh's heart, getting it back to the balance. And every time Pharaoh was choosing the wrong choice. And there's much to say about these and other approaches. I want to bring, following what Ravineberg was saying, I want to bring the Rambam. The Rambam discusses, discusses this issue in a few places. He discusses the Shemayna Prokim in the eight chapters with which he introduces in his commentary on the Mishnah, uh, Pirkei Alvis. And he discusses it in some ways more extensively in Elphus Tshuva, in the laws of Tshuva, the fifth and sixth Prokim, the fifth and sixth chapters. And there he asks the question of if we always have free will, and he introduces the fifth pairing, the fifth chapter of Hilfus Chuba by saying, just, the, the, the permission is granted. Anybody who wants last is time to do good, and to be a tzaddik, 
It's in his hand. To do good, you can do good. You can even become a tzaddik. And the other way around, you could do ra, do bad, and become a rasha. It's all there. Nobody is going to stop you. And he proves it in the past. Now, mad after the sin in Ganeidan, can do whatever they want. They might take the tree of life. You see, Hashem's not going to stop. The world's been handed over. It's in your power, your hands. You can build it, you can destroy it, you can do whatever you want. But you don't just do good. You can become a tzaddik. You don't just do bad. You can become a rasha. And then he talks about teshuva, how a person can, if they mess up, they can do good. And then he asks the question later on of, so why is it the Apsukim Hashem seems to take away people's free will? And the way the Rambam answered, you can check inside after, so I'll just tell you outside for now, is essentially this. He says that putting everything together, when you make a free will choice and become a Rosh of Hashem, not just do bad, but become bad, then there is a miracle called teshuva, but sometimes Hashem will take away the possibility of teshuva. A person going to do so many affairs that Hashem removes the possibility of teshuva. What does that mean? And then they get punished. And then they are trapped in the persona that they created. The Rambam all the way back in the fifth chapter says, anyone could become like Moshe Rabbeinu in the good or Yeroven ben Nevot in the bad. Once a person does bad and becomes a Rasha, that becoming a Rasha shapes the future personality and their future choices. If you do bad, it doesn't stop you doing good. If you do good, it doesn't stop you doing bad. But if you become a tzaddik, you become somebody whose di dynamics of choices are now shifted fundamentally in the direction of good. If a person becomes a rasha, they've created a dynamic whereby their choices naturally are going to shift in the direction of bad. Modern example, an addict. An addict may have made choices early on which could have led in a different direction. But at some point, they get to the place where they seem to lose free will without help and intervention. Now there's a miracle called teshuva. Teshuva is that even though a person's constructed themselves, not just made choices to do good or bad, but built themselves into a rasha, let's say, somebody really bad, the addict, the alcoholic. Now they have a way out. There's a miracle called a way out. But if the person doesn't take that miracle, or if Hashem prevents that miracle, then they are stuck. But by being stuck, and Paro is the example, Hashem removes the possibility of the miraculous salvation. So now who is Paro? Now Paro is the person who is created by Paro's choices. Paro chose to do bad, but he chose to become a Russia. His choices built him and he became like an addict to power, unswerving in his commitment to his own control and power and unable, even in the face of recognizing, oh my goodness, this choice is a disaster. He's stuck. He can't break out of his choice. So according to the Rambam, it turns out that there is no greater demonstration of the 
power of free will than Parry. Look at him! Look how powerful his free will is! He took all his nature and nurture and then through the power of free will has rewired his brain to something so powerful that he has now become an addict to power and control. He cannot break out of it. Dangle in front of him the following. Para, I can save you. I can make you the national hero of Egypt. I want to be saved. I want to be the national hero of Egypt. There's a big plague coming tomorrow. This, oh gosh, what a disaster. But you can all be saved. You just have to issue the order. Fantastic. What order? The order that says, I am not in charge. The creator of the universe is. Even though I'm the Pharaoh meant to be this divine, whatever, I'm not in control. Hashem is in control. The God who those Hebrews are always talking about, he's really in control, not me. And therefore, take all your stuff inside and you'll be saved. And Paro cannot do it. He cannot let go. He cannot admit that he's not in control. He cannot not be in control. And because he cannot not be in control, look what happens to him. Everyone is Yari Devar, Shem puts things inside. But the ones who... What is the expression of the Torah says? The one who could not put their heart to the word of Hashem. They left it. They abandoned all their stuff and it all got destroyed. And when Paro wakes up in the morning and sees the devastation and sees the destruction, and it's like that moment the addict sees, I was drunk last night and I smashed the house up and I did this terrible thing and I just can't believe what I did. And he looks in the mirror and he calls in motion hour and he says, I've got it. I realize all along, I have not been holding you here because of any right that I have over you. I've been holding you here because of who I am, because of what I've become through the choices I made. By pulling away to Shuva, he's now locked and he's saying, I, look how powerful my choices were. I've shaped a human being who cannot escape anymore. I've created the monstrous Russia. End of the center of the era. What do we learn about free will? Look how powerful free will is. The human can build himself into something. In the negative, that they cannot escape the consequence. In the positive, they could build a static like that too, who cannot not do good. That's what we are able to build ourselves into. Look at that, Benesa. Look at that and learn. End of lesson. We can pause here. Next week, we'll be coming out of Egypt, the last few Makos. But this power of the transformative state is the key because this is exactly where we began. Last week, Moshe says, it's been a disaster. Hashem says, don't worry, it's all going to work out. Now he begins this week and says, there's a name called Hashem. And Hashem is the root of all creation. It's the loving vision of reality. It's something, the forefathers, something they never knew. As their imbalance says, Kel, Kel Shakai could see him operating within nature, but never overriding nature. And Hashem says, just like I can override nature, I've given you the ability to do the same thing. Tell them, tell them B'nai Israel, whatever they believe is impossible can become possible. And they cannot yet hear it. It's too hard for them to hear it. But the seed has been planted. Think about that, B'nai Israel. I know you can't hear it yet. 
But as you see this live demonstration happen, and as you see the natural law being flipped on its head, and as you see the power of free will unfolding in front of you, turning Pharaoh's own free will choices into his own self-destruction, you can learn that the natural limits don't have to be there. You can learn that you can transform what you think is possible, that the power of human free choice is vastly more possible than you think is possible. And the power of connecting to Hashem and look what he can do in the world is so beyond. So plant the seed now. Now, Moshe says, Ani aras I cannot speak, right? This is a, this is a, a very powerful, I'll just say it's a side point, but it's something to really get. The Maharal says this. Typically, we think of this as a speech impediment. And there are some who learn that way. But the, that doesn't make sense. It keeps emphasizing it's speech, a speech impediment. I can't, I shouldn't keep saying, I don't care, go and do it. But also like, who are you to argue with Hashem? And more importantly, amazingly enough, Moshe Rabbeinu's speech problems seem to disappear at some point in the Torah. The whole book of Devarim is Moshe Rabbeinu giving speech after speech after speech of his own volition. What happened to his speech problem? The Maharal says something so remarkable. He says, doesn't say Moshe had a speech problem. I am not a man of words. Aral sign, uncircumcised, unactivated of lips, kavad per heaviness of mouth. Says the Maharal, from the moment Moshe reached the level of the encounter with God, I'm on the level, says Moshe, of touching the infinite. How do I communicate what, this experience of, uh, how, how do I communicate that? And that's where Hashem says to him, look what he says to him, I, I, I couldn't, you know, Shem says, don't worry, go and speak. And he tries and it doesn't work. I've tried to show B'nai Son, it means Ani Hashem. I tried to show him this infinite power, but it's too great. You can't put into words something that is such a unique experience. In fact, unique experiences by definition can't be put into words. Because words are designed for things that we can all share in common, so we can all use the word. If you've ever had an emotional experience or something that no one else around you has had, you can't tell it to them. All you can say is it's better than anything else you've had or worse than anything else you've had. But you can't put it into words because even if you had a word for it, if it's a new word, they don't understand it. If it's a word they already understand, it relates to experiences they've already had. Moshe's sitting on the level of infinity, almost whatever that means. It's on a level way beyond he can't express that to people. His encounter with Hashem and his realization that we have the ability to change. Hashem can make any law change and we have the power within ourselves to create ourselves. That, he can't express that to people. The concept, the experience of that is just so vast and so deep. He tries to talk to the B'nai Sol, it doesn't work. So now he comes back to Hashem and says, I failed, but I failed because I, I, I get what you're saying, but I can't convey that. Please help me, show me. And so what was Hashem's response? Moshe and Aaron, I'm going to command you together. And then we pause and we say, here's the Rosh base of. Let's go through some genealogy right now. Moshe and Aaron were not picked because Hashem made them born, in, firstborn, and then just inserted spiritual power into them. They were not the firstborn. In fact, there's a whole bunch of people who came before them in the natural order of, I'm just picking the guy and just inserting special spiritual power in. There were people from Reuven's tribe. There was Shimon's tribe. All of them came before Levi. Now let's go into Levi himself. 
Within the generation that Moshe and Aaron were is eight people who represent Levi. By the way, it's not clear if these are all the children and grandchildren of Levi, because later on when they come out of Mitzrayim, we're going to read there were thousands of people. It could be, depending which from you learn, these are what's called the Roshe of. These are the, out of the many, many people in a generation, there were kind of four ancestral homes named after the original first four children or something. And, Anyway, we're not going to go into the technical points here. But on whatever generation of leadership that's in, within Levi, each generation seems to be eight people who are singled out for leadership. At that level, that level, that level. And they don't always include Moshe and Aaron. In other words, this, this one point that's being brought out over here, and this comes out in Rosh Hashanah Hirsch, makes this point very powerfully, is it's not just they're the firstborn. Or let's put it in our way. It's not just they're the firstborn, they're the natural leader, they're, they're the born leader of the Jewish people, Hashem now says, okay, let me, let me either use you as a conduit to speak to power, or let me pour into you all the spiritual energy you need to do amazing things. No. They were chosen because they were what they'd earned, who they were, who they'd become. But we also need to understand that who they became was not a one-off thing. There was generation after generation in the tribe of Levi working on things. There was Levi, there was Kahas, there was Amram, people who'd really, there was Yefebent, there were people who'd given everything for their commitment to Hashem, people who'd worked on themselves. So on the one hand, we're learning very quickly, this is not just the next in line. This is people who deserved the role they've got, in particular Aaron, because when Aaron's first introduced last week, we introduced him as Halevi, right? The one from Levi. Whereas Moshe was raised in the palace, Aaron was actually always the one who was around the people and so on. And then we say, who Moshe, who Aaron or Moshe? This is Moshe and Aaron. They aren't just anybody. They're people Hashem picked because of all the work they've done in building themselves. And people who are also the result of generations of work that had singled them out to be chosen for this. That's who Hashem said you should bring out. Hey, to bring out who Moshe and Aaron? Moshe and Aaron are people who embody this message. And that's what the Rambam says. You can become great like Moshe Rabbeinu. It might, it helps if you have generations of work before you, but you've done work on yourself. And you are people who have transformed yourself. So Moshe, I get it, but I'm not just picking anybody at random. I can't just send somebody else. You are somebody who's turned yourself into Moshe Rabbeinu, somebody who's now incomprehensibly higher than everyone else. And Aaron is somebody who's close enough to get you. So he will be, you will be an Adakim like a God, meaning you'll say things that are so high up, the Paro will get it, and Aaron will be Neviefa. He'll be able to transmit it to Paro. But I don't just want anyone, and I'll put words into their mouth. I want you as living examples of the free will and the good. You are those living examples of what it means to transform yourselves. And even if the people right now aren't able to hear you today, when they see you in interaction and when they get your message again, they will also see you as examples of the journey they could go on. And as they see how Paris turned himself into a monster that will self-destruct, they will see how you and Aaron have turned yourselves into people and the families around you try to work on this too, into people who can rise up to the greatest good. I'm not just going to build, take one person, a human in this world, remove their free will, make them a conduit of good, give them a speech to say, and so on. I want people who build themselves into what you are. 
So this becomes a very, very powerful structure for beginning to understand what it means, this, this Vayira, and what it is that's being revealed in the name of Hashem that wasn't there before. Yes, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov had done tremendous things. But what Moshe and Aaron had done is literally, that's the example that Rabbi uses. Moshe had grown up in the palace in the middle of Egypt, right? But somehow enough of what he was in the family around him or what he did himself had taken himself and turned him from doing lots and lots of good into somebody who could so easily have been influenced by his environment and gone wrong and instead turned him into somebody through everything we saw last week, care, concern, etc., had gone all the way up to a person who can grasp the word of Hashem so powerfully that he cannot anymore speak to an average person anymore. And Aaron, who's also done so much work, who could be the conduit. By the way, the Maharal points out, why does Moshe eventually learn to speak? Because he sees Hashem reveal himself in Sinai, take the infinite dimension and convey it into finite words. And then Moshe learns to do it himself. That's another whole piece. But for now, what we've seen, at least one of the very important ideas, is that we've seen it's critical to get that genealogy exactly where it is. Now we've seen how the structure of the Sefer makes sense. Why Hashem cuts off and begins the new speech now. Because the new dynamic now is you can achieve possibilities you never thought. That's what it means as a name Hashem. Everything you think of the natural limits, I can change and I build that power into you. You may not yet believe in that, but don't worry. Think about it and you'll see it will happen. And that's why he sends them back to the people to convey this new message. And that's why we changed from Hashem speaking to Moshe, Moshe says, I can't communicate. Don't worry, I'll bring Aaron. Now let me just tell you why you two are being chosen to go to Aaron. Because, not because you're first in line, but because you've worked on yourselves. And yes, of course, it helps that your ancestors did that too. But you've reached new heights and new levels, and you are the ones who I've chosen therefore, not because you're first in line. And now he goes, and now we get all the plagues, and eventually we get to the point where Paro turns around and says, Paro, there's now, now we reveal in the good old motion, Aaron, the negative in that in Paro, and Paro is at that place where he is the free will in the bat. He is the one who, is, who reaches his own, he's turned himself in, let's call it the power addict as we've been using that language, and he gets that point where he looks around and goes, I cannot believe what I've done, but he cannot do Teshuvah. Hashem just simply removes Teshuvah, and then he's stuck in the persona that was created by him. This is the power of free will. To Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron Akoyin on this side, or Aaron Rabbeinu Akoyin Halevi on this side, Paro on this side, and now that we've learned all of this, now that we're getting a sense of Shmi Hashem and how it can be manifest through our choices, how we can be the real power of, of, of the freeness Hashem has to, to reconstruct the world and the freeness that we have to do the same, now we can end Vaera, and now we can focus on the next dimension of Guna, which as Hashem will read next week in Parashas Boy. Hashem shall help all of us to make all the right free will decisions, to really build ourselves with Asos Tov, to do good, to become Sadiqim, and to be Zodfa, to merit, to see in our times, in our world, the full revelation of Hashem, in the full Guna, Bez Hashem, Behir Amen.